0: Question for you. you know, when you hit that moment where you're like, This changes everything, you know, like those this changes everything moments, right? Sometimes it's serious moments, sometimes it's not as serious. Like a couple of weeks ago, Amy and I went shopping because we needed some Easter clothes. You know, you got to put on some fancy pants when it's Easter. And honestly, I was looking for a tie. And as I was looking for a tie, I saw that the ties were on sale. Buy one, get one free on ties. And I was like, Amy, this changes everything. Like this, this is a game changer. Don't you understand? Because I, last night, we had our first Easter service actually last night, just so you know. So we have four Easter services. The first one was last night after the Easter egg hunt my plan was to wear new fresh tie for that group and you were going to get old smelly tie that's what you were going to get you were going to get I already ate cookies on this tie tie that's what but instead that's not what happened instead you got fresh new tie they didn't even get to see this tie only you get to see this and I was like I mean it's a game changer total game changer and so yesterday driving in we were driving in and we had to be here by two o'clock to get ready for everything and so on the drive-in we were looking at each other saying we need to stop for dinner, lunch, dinner, whatever. You know, so I'm like, we, we need food, right? We're going to need food to get through this long rest of the day. And we said, you know, if it was January of next year or so, the Chick-fil-A would be open because you guys know Chick-fil-A is coming to town. Some of you did not know. Okay, whoever gasped just in. I'm not making this up. This is true story. Hall Road and Shaner. Like Hall Road needed another restaurant, right? They did it. They did it. They did it. Okay, so the first service, let me tell you what the first service did. I started the whole conversation by saying, he is risen. And a couple people went, amen. And then I said, Chick-fil-A is coming down. Everybody went, yeah! Woo! And it's like, guys, come on now. Like, (laughs) what are we doing? You know, but sometimes, sometimes it's... It's heavier than a tie or Chick-fil-A, right? Sometimes it's December the 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. It's the bombing of Pearl Harbor in a way that our nation can't ever look at the world the same again. Sometimes it's April the 4th, 1968. That's the day that Dr. King was assassinated. Some of you remember that event. You remember the world seemed to be going along at one pace, and all of a sudden you just stop and you say it's... It's changed. Everything has changed. Maybe you remember where you were November the 22nd, 1963. For one generation, that was the question. Do you remember where you were when you got the news that President Kennedy was shot? You know, for my generation, it tends to be September the 11th, 2001. That's our question. Do you remember where you were when the Twin Towers? Do you remember? And my answer is always, yeah, I remember. I was at... Seminary. I was at graduate school and I was getting ready for school that morning. The news was on, and I remember watching that second plane fly into the tower and the feeling of numbness just washing over me as I'm like, you know what, this world has changed. It'll it'll never be the same again. Everything around me has changed. And you know, these historical events are important historical events, aren't they? They're events that we remember, but let's be clear, it's a specific people a specific place, a specific time. What we're talking about today is the greatest moment in all of human history. This is the only event that surpasses all people, all time, all place. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about today. So during the Good Friday service, We had time to reflect on the events of Holy Week leading up to the crucifixion. And we were reminded, the scripture says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, Jesus completed his work of redemption when he declared it is finished. But the story doesn't stop there. And I think sometimes in our minds it's almost like that's an exclamation point, that's a period, that's end of chapter, and it's not. There should be a sticky note in your Bible that says, to be continued, because it didn't stop Friday. It went on to Saturday. Saturday was that day that heaven was silent. And then we get to Sunday. Then we get to the day where the stone is rolled away, and we celebrate a risen Savior. And this is so crucial to the gospel, what we find is every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all narrow in to say, let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, take your Bibles this morning and open up to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. As you're turning there, let me just say, it's so rich when you read all the gospels. You get all these different angles of the resurrection. But I love those. You can go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's this looking forward to the resurrection that will come. When you look at Jesus, Jesus speaks in a way to say there will be a crucifixion and a resurrection. When you keep going later in the New Testament, Paul looks back and says, let me tell you about what happened in the past with the resurrection. Like in the Old Testament, Psalm 1610 describes it this way. The psalmist writes, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, Or let your Holy One see corruption. And then you see Jesus looking forward to the resurrection. He says, Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Or Paul, looking back, says in 1 Corinthians 15, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so here's my question. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all writing to different people. They're writing to different audiences and different contexts. So why? Why did each and every single one find it so necessary to write about the resurrection of Christ? Why was this so needed? And it brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that these things were written so that you and I might believe these things were written so that you and I might believe now I know that many 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 of you in this room you are followers of Christ already you are here celebrating but Jesus asked it this way he says in John eleven twenty six, 26 do you believe this and some of you the reality is you're going uh, I, don't, I don't know what I believe I'm working on it, like I'm processing. I, I'd like to believe, I just don't know that I'm there yet. That's why I'm here. Like someone invited me, I came in, I figured church was a good place to hear about Jesus, you know, so I'm, I'm here to try to figure out if I believe this or not. But the reality is for you right now, you don't yet, but you're working on it. And so what I wanna do with our remainder of our time this morning is just give you three reasons why you should believe. Because if you're sitting there going, I I like to believe, I'm kind of on the edge, I just don't know. The first reason I would encourage you to believe is because of the testimony of the eyewitnesses. The testimony of the eyewitnesses. Look at your Bible, Luke 24. I'm going to start reading in verse number one. Luke writes this He says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Let's, uh, let's move down to verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. So Luke, just to be clear, Luke was a, was a physician. Luke's a doctor. Luke wasn't one of the 12. Peter, James, John, that wasn't Luke. Luke was not with Jesus for that three-year period of ministry. He was a doctor who then interviewed gobs of eyewitnesses and then said, let me write in a way this only a doctor can do that's meticulous, that is so thorough. In fact, if you go back to verse number one of his gospel, he explains how he writes and why. He says this. He says in verse one, Inasmuch has this friend, Theophilus, and he says, you're struggling with this faith journey. You're working out your faith. I've interviewed all these eyewitnesses, and I wrote down their testimony, and I put it together in an orderly fashion for you to be able to look at, to be, to be encouraged in your faith. Isn't that pretty incredible? So imagine it like this. You, some of you, you know attorneys. Some of you have attorneys in the family. For all the rest of us, we've watched TV, right? And so we, we've seen them on TV. We know, like, the TV shows with attorneys, the movies with attorneys. And so we know how it goes, right? You have attorney number one says, I'm going to argue what I believe to be right. And I'm going to give you this narrative. And so what they'll say is, well, based on the facts that I'm going to present, here's what you should believe. Just picture you're the jury, right? Mm-hmm. They'll say, here's what you should believe, jury to be true. And then so imagine you've got this second attorney who looks at that man or that woman who's arguing the case and says, that's really compelling, but I have an eyewitness. Well, we're going to be swayed by that a little bit, right? Especially if it's a trustworthy eyewitness. And so this trustworthy eyewitness, they take the stand, they tell what happened. And then all of a sudden, this attorney says, well, that's good, that's great, I guess, but I've got this story, and here's what you should think, right? Here's what you should believe. They've only got one eyewitness, and then actually this attorney says, no, no, actually, I have a second eyewitness, and so the second eyewitness comes up, and then this attorney says, oh, by the way, I have a, I have a third eyewitness They're all saying the same thing. I don't know, just third eyewitness, and As a jury, isn't that the place where we all start to say, case closed. You're just telling what you think happened. And here we have three eyewitnesses. Pay attention to what Luke said in 2410. Mary Magdalene was named by name. And written down, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. And then he said, then there's a whole nother group of women with them. I named them by name as eyewitnesses. And they are willing to stake their lives on this claim. And by the way, this other group of women, if what I'm writing down is not true, they're going to say something. They're going to say, that's not true. But they're all saying the exact same thing. And it reminds me of what Paul says later. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and then he came to me. But did you hear what he said? He said, yes, true. There are the three eyewitnesses, and then there's the group of women. But don't miss this. Jesus appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses. Some of them had died. Most of them are still alive. They're willing to stake their lives on what they've seen and heard. So if you're still struggling, if you're still going, I'm I'm trying to figure out exactly what I believe, my first encouragement is you need to look at the testimony of the eyewitnesses because you have more than 500 people saying, I'm placing my life on the line telling you this is true. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. We have a risen Savior. And the question of Jesus is the same. Do Mm -hmm. you believe this? Number next testimony, reason number two two, you should believe is the testimony of the angels. Look down at verse number four. It says, so the women, while they, the women, were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened, and they bowed their heads to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified? And on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. So verses 4 through 8, we see these different witnesses. These two men, it says they were in dazzling apparel maybe your translation says that their clothes glowed like lightning these two men didn't just like figure out the recipe for bleach right these men are angels and we know that they're angels because it's affirmed in verse number 23 it's affirmed in Matthew chapter 8 verse 2 it's affirmed in John chapter 20 verse 12 where every single gospel writer is writing about these angels now church they all give a different perspective Matthew only talks about the spokesperson. He's just talking about one angel. In one of the other gospels, you got one of the angels sitting up on a stone, kind of kicking their feet back, like, do 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 you know, kind of doing, which is my favorite. Like, I think that's pretty awesome. The women showed up, they're freaked out, and he's just sitting up on the stone. And so maybe, because people come to me sometimes, and they're like, Pastor, why is that? Why do you see different numbers of angels in different locations? And like, it just... Does that mean that there's a problem with the Bible? And the answer is no. Like to me, the explanation is so simple, right? It's so simple. Earlier this week, earlier this week, it was kind of a stomach punch as we watched a church that's more than 800 years old just burning, right? I mean, that, that was tough. And if you watched it live, what you saw is you saw from the front of the church one angle and then the camera would shift and... You would see it from the side or up near the flying buttress or you would see even an aerial shot, right? The next day, you got some pictures from inside, some I, with a drone or something. I don't know how they got that picture. And then, when, Basically, as someone who's spectating, we got a 360-degree view of the event, didn't we? That's the same thing that the gospel writers are doing for us. As they're writing about what happened, they're giving us a complete picture, a 360 of all of the events of what happened that day, which I absolutely love. Now, the angels are there for a very important reason. They provide us with one of the most important proofs for validating the resurrection. In verse 3, do you see how it says the women, they were, they were still wondering about this. Like, they couldn't figure out, like, where Jesus go? There's some strips of cloth on the ground, but where's his body? Where's he at? And I just wonder if the angels didn't show up, would they have continued just to scratch their heads? Like, would, would they have continued just to be like, I don't know, I don't know where he went? And I wonder, would that have impacted us still today? Would there still be people today going, I just, I don't, I don't know what happened to Jesus? I wish we knew what happened to Jesus. But the angels show up and said, Let me bring the testimony of God into this conversation. Don't you remember? Don't you remember that Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to be murdered, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be crucified, then I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise again on the third day. Don't you remember the prophecy? My friend, prophecies are powerful, aren't they? They are so powerful. In fact, we're kind of swayed by it a little bit. We don't like to call it prophecy. Maybe we call it prediction. Maybe we. Call, but isn't it true every November and December, there's analysts out there, economists or whatever who will say, Here's what I think is going to happen next year. In 2020, here's what you should expect with your finances. And we lean closer, don't we? Like we want to know what's going to happen with my money. Like so you lean forward and you're listening. And basically what they do is they say the trends have been this this year. And if I'm pretty conservative, I would say here would be the trends for next year. And we all go, oh, that's so smart. Right? And we're just blown away by that. Now, every now and then something will happen that we don't expect, right? There will be a prediction that like no one really saw that coming. And I know I've shared this story, but I'm gonna share it one more time. I think one of the best examples happened during Detroit's greatest sports moment. Now, I don't even like baseball, but I love this story. Like, I love it. 1984 World Series. You guys know the story. Kurt Gibson is up to bat, right? He is up to bat. He's already hit one homer. They're facing the Padres. And uh, so the manager for the Padres looks at Goose Gossage, the pitcher. The pitcher looked like a crazy man. His mustache was all like down here and scraggly and he had eyes that looked like I don't want you throwing a ball 100 miles an hour at me you know I would not want to be a anyway he looks over at his manager and his manager's doing this at him right that means walk him throw him four balls get do not pitch to this guy he didn't like that idea He's kind of like I don't want to walk him you know and he's kind of giving attitude to his manager a little bit and so then they have a meeting on the mound. I don't know what people talk about when they do the whole mound thing, right? But the manager runs out there, the pitcher's there, the catcher. I don't know if the catcher even has anything to do with it, but I think they're just tired of squatting. But what they do is it's kind of like I'm going to walk over here too, you know. And and then they put their gloves over their mouth. So no, one, did anyone play catcher like in high school? I'll call it. Yeah, I, so we need to talk later because there's something going on, but then they hold their gloves like this because they're afraid the other team, like, cares so much about what they're saying that they're going to lip read. So anyway, they're doing this, and they're having a chat. Meanwhile, let me go back. Kurt Gibson, the hero for the Tigers, before he came up to bat, he was talking with his manager, Sparky Anderson, in the dugout, and has their, or it's the dugout, right? That's what they call that please. Okay, so they're, they're chatting in the dugout, and he's like, he's like all right. I'll bet you $10, and I don't know why in my mind when they talk, they're always talking Southern, but they are. I'll bet you $10, $10, they're going to pitch it to me, and then I'm going to take it out of here. Like, I've heard the interviews. He doesn't talk Southern, but just go with me, right? And so, it's like, I'm going to hit it out of here, and he's going to pitch it to me. And Sparky Anderson's like, yeah, I'll take that bet. That's a good one. I'll take that $10, all right? And so, anyway, fast forward. So, Kirk Gibson's standing at the plate. They're talking on the mound. You know, he's just standing there waiting. And basically, the pitcher was like, no, no, I'm going to strike him out. I am. I'm going to strike him out let me let me in coach let me pitch to him I can strike him out he's like all right I guess you're gonna to pitch to him so he runs back just keep going with me he runs back to his dugout the pitcher's there looking crazy you know how this goes right but before maybe you missed this before he pitches it Kirk Gibson looks over at Sparky Anderson and goes yeah true story boom out of here Tigers win the World Series, they asked Spark. you can Google this later, they asked Sparky Anderson, like, what was that whole 10 thing about someone said you bet him $10? He goes, no, no, he bet $10 that they were going to pitch to him, and he was going to take it out, and I, I owe him $10 now, you know, and that's the way the story goes. But let me be crystal clear, we hear a prediction like that And we're like, man, that's an awesome story. Whether you like the tigers or not, that's a great story. Nothing compares to heavenly beings showing up on this earth saying, listen, he did what he said he would do. He has risen. Nothing compares. There's nothing even close to that. So if you're struggling with that question, do you believe this There were more than 500 eyewitnesses. Angels from heaven came down just to say, let me tell you, it is true. And let me give you one last testimony. One more reason to believe would be the testimony of your own heart. You see, Luke keeps writing. He tells about the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus walked this earth for the next 40 days before he ascended into heaven. During one of those days, he tells about this in Luke twenty-four, thirteen through 35, Jesus comes alongside these two men who are on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about things. And when Jesus shows up, they don't know that it's Jesus' first. And he tells them that Christ had to suffer these things and then enter his glory. Finally, Jesus makes it known who he is. And these men are rocked in that moment. Then just like, okay, well, I got to go. Have a good one, you know. And Jesus is out. And then listen to this. This is so powerful. They say this, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked with us along the road and opened to us the scriptures, did not our hearts burn within us? You know, the reality is for some of you this morning, your hearts have been burning inside of you. The whole time I've been asking that question, do you believe? Your heart has just been on fire as you're thinking to yourself, I want to believe. I know I want to believe. I know today is the day I should believe. I just don't know. Listen to the testimony of your heart this morning. As it burns within you. My encouragement is today. To believe and respond in faith. By placing your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's my encouragement to you. It was 24 years ago to the day. 24 years ago on an Easter morning. That I placed my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And let me just tell you. It's not throwing your hand up in the air one time. It was a. Started a lifetime full of surrender to Christ in my life. Nothing's been the same since. I want to come back to you guys who are kind of struggling with things in just a moment. First, I want to talk to those who would call themselves followers of Jesus this morning. Those who would call themselves Christians. My question to you on this Easter morning, who this season have you told the good news to? Who have you had that conversation with where you just say, let me just let me just tell you about my faith in Christ. You know, I think I think we're freaked out by that conversation. I do. I think we're scared that people will look at us and act like we're, we're weird people. I think we're scared they're going to look at us and reject us. as, as pe- Let me just tell you real fast an experience that I had two weeks ago. I um, delivered letters up and down campground here Uh, Just letters to our neighbors to say, hey, just so you know, we're going to be building and there's rules when we build for all the big trucks and stuff. They're supposed to follow the rules. (laughs) Sometimes people don't follow the rules. And so here's my cell phone number because if they make a mess of anything and I can't see it, please just let me know. I want to be here to serve you. I want to be here. So that's what the letter said in essence. Um, And so here's what I expected. I expected to knock on the door and people to look through their curtains and shut their curtains and then act like I'm not there. That's kind of what I expected. And I would have to put the envelope and the little door handle and be like the lawn care guy. You know, that's, that's kind of what I thought I was going to do. And, um, or I would ring the doorbell and they would open it up and just stick their nose out. And they would hear I'm the pastor and then they would shut the door. Like that's kind of, I don't know, in my head that's what I thought they were going to do. Uh, it's not what happened though. I want you to know we have some of the best neighbors ever. Like we really do. Uh, I went down the road and... Um, First thing I experienced was the guy answering. He was clearly in the middle of some project, paint all over his jeans, and so gracious invited me in. We spent the next 45 minutes talking together. And that happened again and again and again and again with all the neighbors. If anyone is going to get the door shut on them, I guarantee it's going to be the pastor. I'm a professional Christian, right? So they're like, they, they, they avoid me. They really do. Oh, he's coming again. It's that guy, you know, and... So I just tell you that to encourage you, just to say, if, if that's how I'm treated, I, I can guarantee you that your worst fears probably are not true. So maybe, maybe as a family, you could just start this way. What would it look like if you just started to walk through your neighborhood and you just, you just prayed for your neighbors, just in your heart between you and the Lord? And what if part of your prayer was, Lord, help me to see people the way you see people? Help me me to see their hurts. Help me to see where I can serve. Help me to see where I can bless. What might that do in your life? Forget about how you're going to bless the world. Just what what does that do to your heart when you start to see your neighbors the way the Lord sees your neighbors? And what does it look like? I mean, we've got five different opportunities on May the 4th where we're going to be serving in the community, but what would it look like if you went next door and just as you're talking to your neighbor, you just said, hey, how, how can I serve you? What can I do to be a blessing to you? Inevitably, they're going to ask this. Why are you doing this? And you don't have to be weird, just so you know. Like, you really don't. You don't have to be weird. Here's what you can say. I love Jesus, and Jesus loves you. It just makes sense that I would love on you too. I don't need anything in return. Like, I'm not looking for, like, paybacks or anything like that. Just, I care about you. What might the Lord start to do in this community if that's the posture of our church? So there's a group I'm talking to, though. That group that said, I'm trying to figure out the answer to that question, do I believe? Those of you who started this morning saying, I, I'm not sure what I would answer, my encouragement to you is today, answer with surrender. Will you bow your heads with me? John 3.16 says this, It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let me just give you an amplified version of that. For God so greatly, completely, totally, wholly loved the world, which means the whole world, which means you. He loved the person who is full of ego, the person who is full of self, the person who's full of anger, bitterness, the person who's lied, the person who's looked in the mirror and said horrible things about themselves, ripped themselves to shreds when a God's holy and awesome creation looked in the mirror and absolutely annihilated the person that they saw when they looked in the mirror. God so greatly loved the world, the person who looks at other people and spews all kinds of horrible things toward other people. Or maybe you're that person who says, I really haven't done any of those. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. Yep. He also loves a person full of pride. He also loves a person that is puffed up, who tries to do it on their own and act like they don't need the Lord, who acts like they're smart enough, strong enough, strategic enough. He loves that person too. God so completely, totally, wholly loved the whole world, including you, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And then whoever believes in him, clings to him, relies on him, trusts in him, places their faith in him, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And maybe you've never ever done that. Maybe you've thought about it. But maybe you've never done it. I just want to give you a spot right here and now. Trust the testimony of the eyewitnesses. Trust the testimony of the angels. Trust the testimony of your own heart right now. So if you're that person, you're saying today is the day. Billy, yours was 24 years ago. Mine's today. I am ready to place my faith in Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. But what I am going to ask you to do is on the count of three, just put your hands straight up. It's really between you and the Lord, just that place of saying, God, I surrender today. I am ready. Today is my day. So if that's you on the count of three, put your hands straight up. One, two, three. Hands straight up if that's you. God bless you guys. I see you. Anyone else right there at the back? All of you guys, I see you right here see you at the back back there guys i see you here's what i want you to do those with your hands up just look straight at me no one else is looking they're all praying for you right now so just make eye contact with me if i didn't see you that's okay go ahead and make eye contact with me if that was you I just want you to know something. It's not raised in your hand that makes you right with God. It's your faith in Jesus. It is a rolled away stone from the tomb. It is an empty grave that makes you right with Jesus today. It is your faith in Christ and your faith in Christ alone that makes you right with Jesus. But this is the moment where things start. This is not it. Like this is not all there is. This is just the starting point to new life in Christ. Will you guys just pray with me and just say, dear God, thank you for loving me. I believe, I believe that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, I believe that you live that perfect, that sinless life. You are without blemish, you are without sin. I believe that you were crucified. And I believe that on the third day you rose from the dead. I am placing my trust in that truth today. So thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for making me a new creation. Happy Easter, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, can we just praise the Lord for a rollaway away stone and an empty tomb.